Welcome to Chinuch 2.0, a show about the massive changes happening to how we do Chinuch, some of which may never be the same again. bit different than the typical episodes that we have. It's more of a conversation with a friend of mine, Yoel Judowitz. He's the owner of Story Tribe Media, which is a creative marketing company. And Yoel and I had conversations in the past about different ideas that we can do to improve the Chinuch experience. We've discussed on many different shows a lot of the issues that could be improved, that could be made better. And Yoel has some ver- had some very good ideas, very innovative ideas, which he came to these ideas not just as a parent, but he himself spent time in the classroom as an English teacher. He, over the years, he spent uh, time in various different schools, different settings, uh, where he had classroom experience, and he saw firsthand the problems with the way Chenuch is being done today, and he came up with some very creative solutions, which we discuss in great detail in this conversation. I suggest that you listen to this conversation and try to ask yourself, why aren't we doing these ideas? Why aren't we implementing them? And if you are interested in learning more and seeing what you could do, and maybe if you have some ideas of how you can make this happen or make this a reality, whether you run a school, whether you're a teacher in a school or a parent in a school, or just someone who cares about improving the state of Chinuch today, please reach out. Reach out to me or to y'all. His information is shared in the show notes. And let's try to do work together so that we can make Chinuch better for all of us. So let's go to the conversation with Yol Judowitz. Okay, so we're speaking with Yol Judowitz. He's a, a longtime friend and someone I know from the business world. He, he's the owner of Story Tribe Media. And he, uh, he, he has a, a very creative business, a business that helps, uh, that, that helps other businesses and organizations get their message out. So it's a pleasure to have him on the show to, share, to, to, to talk about different ideas that we have, uh, that, that both of us have. It's more of a conversation to share ideas about Chinuch and how we can make it more efficient and improve it. That's what I, we're all invested in Chinuch. Everybody's invested in Chinuch one way or another. And it's a pleasure to have him. Welcome, y'all. Good work. Hi. Hi, Aaron. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's a great opportunity. Okay, good. So uh, we're almost, uh, we're very close to Hanukkah, just a week and a half away. So uh, you, you have any ideas to share about Hanukkah before we, start, before we get into the topics? Yes. Yeah, so actually, that's a, a good question because I, um, I was thinking recently about Hanukkah and uh, I thought of a little vart. I thought maybe I'd start with that, share a little vart with uh, your listeners. So there's a famous question from the Beis Yosef. The Beis Yosef asks the question, how come Hanukkah is eight days? Hanukkah should be seven days mm-hmm. because uh, really the first day was natural. The first day there was mm-hmm. enough oil for the menorah to last by itself. A very famous question. So I thought of an answer, which is Nagea also for education and Chanukh, what we're talking about. Basically, the main point of Hanukkah, the light of Hanukkah, represents Torah, right? The menorah in the Besamidrash was Torah. So when you think about it, the real theme of Hanukkah 
is not just that light has the ability to last for eight days. It's really that Torah has endless power. A little bit of Torah is, uh, is infinite. There's infinite light in every drop of Torah. So how does this answer the basis of Kasha? It's very simple. Because if Hanukkah was, if Hanukkah wouldn't be eight days, we wouldn't have the basis of Kasha. And think how much Torah was written on the basis of Kasha. <laughs> so that's my terence. The reason Hanukkah is eight days is in order we should have the basis of Kasha. Uh, uh, the Kasha is the terence. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's a little creative, creative angle to the uh, to the issue. And I'm thinking, hopefully, we'll bring some uh, creative angles to the uh, to the Chinuch discussion. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you a little bit about my background and what I bring to this uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so as you mentioned, I currently run a marketing company specializing in uh, social media for businesses and organizations and different types of marketing. And the background that I come from is more from a creative viewpoint to, uh, you know, to dealing with things in general, any type of creative challenge. And that's relevant for education as well. So in my career, I started off as an artist and illustrator. Uh, some of your listeners might recognize my book in uh, children's books, like the Migos Man series was something we worked on, and a whole bunch of other things. Circle now, Magazine, when, right? Uh, it's actually not Circle, but Spotlight Magazine, Spotlight. which is a similar, yeah, a similar children's magazine. So I was involved in a lot of art, um, children's illustration, and I built that studio. Now, while I was an artist, uh, during that section of my career, I also taught on the side. I would teach in schools a couple days a week. I very much enjoyed teaching. I'm actually a third-generation teacher. My mother is a teacher. My father's a Rebbe. My grandmother was a teacher. So uh, I really enjoyed teaching. And as an artist, you're up in your cave the entire day. You're dealing with people. I wanted to get out a couple times a week. It was a healthy thing. And in the afternoon, I used to teach. I taught science. I taught history, a number of different subjects. And where was this? Wait, wait. So, well, this was actually in Munsi. At one point, I used to teach in Besachanoch in Munsi when I lived there. And then I moved to Detroit and I taught in Yeshiva Besehuda in Detroit. Uh, those were the two primary um, teaching settings that I taught in, in terms of elementary school. I was involved in a couple other uh, educational settings, uh, kids at risk. I was involved in that uh, scene in Munsi. So I, I came to education from a whole bunch of different angles, but the primary, the primary thought when it comes to education is creativity. How could, I, how could I look at this problem in an original way and solve it by thinking out of the box? That's the standard I pro- approach I take mm-hmm. to everything that I'm involved in. And when it came to education, it was the same question. So... You know, I'll jump ahead and then I'll let you jump in. But mm. I'll just tell you this. The first thing I did as soon as I got in the room was throw out all the books. Whatever books they had, whatever the curriculum they had. The second I walked in, I said, this is not going to work. No textbooks. It's not going to work. No, no textbooks. textbooks. I threw them all out, every last one of them. Yeah. I said, none of this is going to work for the kids that I'm going to be dealing with. And, um, and therefore, forget about it. I have to think of a new approach from scratch. Mm-hmm. So that's where things started in terms of education. Mm-hmm. Why? And, what, what, was, uh, what, was your, uh, what was your thing against textbooks? So what do I have against books? Why burn all the books? Yeah. I have nothing against books uh, specifically. You know, I happen to love reading myself. Um, you know, some of, the, some of the schools I was teaching in, the schools were geared for children 
who struggle in a standard classic, you know, classroom setting. And, you know, just walking in there, I sensed right away, you know, if I walk in and say, read pages 200 to 225 and, and answer the questions, it wasn't going to work. These kids were not going to get it. Uh, you know, as, as I taught more and I taught. And is this is specific? Is it is, is just, is this something specific to our, to the current generation that they just, they don't learn from books or this is something that, so, that, that goes back. This is something that should have always been that way. That's a good, that's an interesting question. You know, I have to think back to my childhood. I would say when I was a kid, there was always a percentage of the class that the standard way of learning didn't work for. Um, maybe it was a relatively smaller percentage. Maybe, you know, there were always the three kids who were the troublemakers in the back of the class who couldn't go through it. They weren't necessarily, you know, they, they were smart kids, but they couldn't sit, they couldn't focus. The standard method of book learning wasn't working for them. That's, that's what I remember as a child. There's always a percentage of the class. I think mm -hmm. nowadays that percentage has increased dramatically. And I'm not just talking about for yeshivas that specialize in that. I think as a whole, uh, there's a higher percentage of children where the standard way of learning is, um, it doesn't work. It's, it's mental torture and it just becomes a battle uh, to mm -hmm. get through it. And I think there are better ways. So now why is there a higher percentage? I think it's for a number of reasons. Um, one reason, one reason is that the method that children I think children are exposed a lot more now to video, to other forms of technology. I do think that there's a part in that. They're just used to getting information in a more exciting way. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if someone actually did a study of how book reading is in the from community, how it's evolved, if today's generation reads less or reads more, you know, lighter reading in terms of comics and things like that, as opposed to growing up with heavy reading. You know, it would be, be interesting to me if someone actually did su such a study and uh, did a comparative study to uh, how much kids are reading compared to the past in, in terms of long form literature. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of it. And I think there are other parts. I think a lot of kids grow up in complex households, um, which has an effect on attention. And uh, <clears throat> I just think in general, things are more fast paced in terms of communication, everything that they're exposed to is quick, it's light, it's fast paced. You're competing with with very sophisticated, um, very sophisticated content. Right. Yeah, but it's not just distractions. In other words, the content that they see in other contexts, whether it's an exciting comic book, whether it's a video, um, even the books that they're reading are very high quality in terms of entertainment. And, and they're much more intense and everything has become that way. Even in the non-Jewish world, uh, you know, the, the pacing of a children's film, you know, nowadays compared to the way it was, is different. Right. So the standard to hold a child's attention, I think, has become higher. I think that's one part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so, that, so, second, so, so specifically, yeah. you know, getting back to the books, that the reason why you got rid of the books is because you, you feel that, at least from what you've been seeing, that just the kids mm -hmm. aren't learning. They're not picking up the, the, the material from it. Well, definitely the, the children that I was dealing with when I first started teaching, and I was teaching, you know, what in grade? a school and in a class. What this grade was, was it? Seventh grade. Seventh, seventh grade. grade. So like a 11, 12-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, these kids specifically, 
the whole school was geared to children who had struggled, who struggled with the mainstream class. And what was interesting, I found the method that evolved to deal with those kids when I later was teaching in more mainstream classes, I realized it works for everybody. It doesn't just work for kids who are, you know, are struggling. Everyone could gain from it. Right. So uh, that's something that I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, you know, I, I know I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago and when we touched base, uh, when, you know, I put out a post about an idea relative to education. So a lot of these different things come together. Uh, you know, I'm starting my story, but I'm going to stop for a second and talk about what some of the issues are in education and right. how, what are the what problems? Yeah. What are the problems? Right. What are the problems that this <laughs> what, is solving? What's not working? Right. What's not working exactly? As as a teacher, as a creative teacher, as an artist, as a marketer, as someone who, you know, looks at things creatively and and you know tries to have an original look, what's not working? And and what could we take a step back and say maybe we could do something radically different just because we weren't doing this before? And maybe it's time for something different. So what's not working is number one what we spoke about: kids paying attention definitely becoming uh, much more difficult. Um, and then there's a lot of practical and logistical issues in the educational in the education system. Uh, obviously, you know, tuition is something that the firm community struggles with. The cost of private school education mm-hmm. is a major problem and a major challenge in the firm community. Mm-hmm. Finding good teachers is a tremendous challenge, especially out of town. You know, with the pool of teachers who are qualified to teach in a firm school is very small. So finding quality teachers is a problem. Um, the cost of education is a problem. Keeping kids interested is a problem. And the fourth problem, the fourth challenge I would add is discipline in a classroom, I think is something that people in front, that teachers in from schools have struggled with, with a long, you know, for a long time. Um, and that's, that's also a big challenge. So you know, if I had to, uh, you know, give a laundry list of some of the issues facing from education today, and I'm talking mostly about secular education, but a lot of this is relevant to, to uh, the kind of well. yeah, yeah, a lot of is relevant, you know, is relevant to that as well. I think those are some of the major issues facing education. So mm-hmm. now, now we know all the problems. So what's the solution? Right. <laughs> right. That's the second part of it. The problems right. okay, are easy. Okay, yeah, we, we had a lot of shows uh, about the, the topic of, of tuition, you know, dealing with, with the cost sure. of education. Like you said, it, 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 one, one problem really feeds into the other because when mm-hmm. you have the kids, the kids are, are first, first you have that, the, the, the available pool of teachers is very small. So yeah, schools have to compete. When they compete, obviously they have to pay more money. And, sure. uh, and, and then, the, you know, <laughs> that just raises the cost on the parents. And then also, exactly. you said that kids, the kids are not, the, 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 the kids are not really learning well. Uh, that's that's mm-hmm. that's a big problem that forces the parents to have, yeah, yeah. That's right. A, right, a lot of kids aren't aren't learning well, so the the, the parents have to spend money outside the classroom to help the right. kids uh, supplement, kids, sure, help the kids be up to par with with with, with what their level supposed to be, and that adds an additional burden, of course, on it. So yeah, mm-hmm. so it's really, it, it, it's 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 a very it, we're, you know, so education and chinuch is something that needs. A lot of a lot of help. <laughs> There's a lot of areas sure. that that need to be Absolutely. improved, and uh, yeah, and that's what that's what our show is all about. Trying to figure that's out what we're here for. One hundred percent. Share different ideas. Okay, so yeah, um, so. yeah, so let's let's jump into it. So uh, yeah, so let's get into the to the. How, how did you how did you structure your classroom to be uh, to be different as, as besides to be the different? Books? So after I write, after I burned all the books, what was the next step? So. 
Um, and again, this is something that I did for myself. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this as, uh, you know, Moses coming down from the mountain and saying this is going to work in every context and every situation, and this is what every school has to do. I'm just saying some of the things that I experimented with that worked for me, and this is food for thought for, you know, educators who are thinking about doing things a little differently. So after I, get, I got rid of the books, um, the subject that I was teaching at the time was science and history. And I realized that there's a tremendous wealth of multimedia on the internet. There, there's an endless amount of, of interesting things going on um, in terms of video, video content. Educational, uh, quality educational, educational content. Very high quality educational content, interesting content. Uh, so I came up with this approach where I would spend time every week, you know, collecting clips from the internet, relevant clips. And I also started to branch into current events as well, you know, which, which makes it even more interesting for kids. And basically it almost became a show where I would come every day with a series of clips that were relevant, you know, in terms of science or history or current events, we would sit down and we would watch the show together. So, you know, I'd, I'd play a clip, um, you know, we're dealing with the elections. I might take a little clip from a debate. Um, I might take a clip, uh, trying to remember, you know, specific examples, but I'll give you an example of a lesson that I did. We were learning about World War II. You know, World War II was one of the, you know, main events. And there's a lot you can bring in when you're talking about a topic. Well, first of all, it's an exciting topic. And once you're on it, there's, you could talk about government. You could talk about how society functions. You could talk about, you know, laws, geography. You could basically pile everything in to that topic. And I noticed that, I don't know if everyone knows this, but Churchill happened to have been an artist. Hmm. Um, people don't know. He's a water, he was an accomplished watercolor artist. You know, Hitler Yamakshamai was also an artist. Some people might know that. He was actually rejected from art school. He didn't get into a art school that he wanted to. And um, he went into politics. Say that's, where, that's where everything <laughs> went downhill. You know, there's nothing, there's a, there's a disgruntled more artist. Dangerous than a, a, a frustrated artist. <laughs> this a frustrated artist, maybe. Maybe that's something to do with it. But um, anyway, so he was also an artist. So what I did was I collected some of the pictures of Churchill, some of the pictures of Hitler and some of his drawings. And I didn't tell the kids whose who's drawing belonged to whom. I just put them on the board and I said, some of these you know, were painted by this person, some by the other person. Could you guess which ones was painted by which person? And tell me why you think that person's style reflects you know, maybe some of what, of his personality or, or his ideology. And this became a really interesting discussion because what's interesting is that Churchill's pictures have a lot of color, um, a lot of life in them. And Hitler Yamakshamai, his pictures are very dead, very almost mathematical. Um, they're mostly pictures of destroyed buildings, interestingly enough. You know, this was all the way in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But what this allowed me to do is open a whole in-depth psychological discussion about who these leaders were and, you know, try to get into the psychology a little bit of, um, you know, of their approaches and, and maybe how later on, you know, Churchill was almost was Hitler's nemesis. So it became an interesting idea to think about this as a war between two artists with different ideology 
And we're talking about seventh grade, right? This is a sophisticated discussion. This could be a college level discussion. Mm-hmm. But by thinking out of the box and being able to create this conversation, instead of, instead of having, you know, read pages 200 to 225, we had a, a pleasant, interesting conversation over a piece of media, over a piece of something interesting. Mm-hmm. And that became the style of teaching that I developed. I would bring in something interesting and we would um we would just improvise over it. You know, we could talk about you could you could start with anything and go from there to anything. Uh, but it wasn't just a matter of coming in and pressing play on a video. It was like a conversation piece. We're sitting and we're watching the show together. Let's pause over here. Let's have a conversation, let's have an interesting conversation about this. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the method of method of teaching that evolved. Okay, so so the obvious uh, objection that many okay. people are thinking right now when they're hearing the story is sure. it's not in the curriculum. Excuse me. We need right. our kids to be up to standard. They need to know uh, math one or uh, earth science or chemistry. Mm-hmm. And hey, you're teaching them about uh, artists' personalities. Like, uh, you know, so right. what, what's the educational value that I'm paying tuition sure. for my children to have a guy come in and uh, show them a video and have a conversation to schmooze around with them? Right, right. No, no. And I hear that convers- I hear that question. It's, it's a valid question. Uh, so in terms of the accountability and what you come away with, you know, there are other parts to this process. One part is note-taking, which is something that we would do together. Uh, you know, we would take notes consistently and there were tests based on the notes that we took. So the tests were, you know, directly from those notes. And, uh, therefore there was a process, there was accountability, there was actual knowledge they came out with. It definitely was more of an open-ended curriculum, but we covered a tremendous amount. We just did it in a very natural conversational way instead of a systematic, um, you know, a systematic dry way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it takes a certain amount of open-mindedness. In other words, is it the most efficient way to learn? I'm not sure. I can't say it's the most efficient way. You know, if you're dealing in like an old school Russian system where the kids don't lift their hands from the desk, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that class at the end of the year might know more facts and figures, but I think we're past that point. I think we have to accept the fact that the old school ways are not going to work with a lot of kids today. So we have to open it up and think of maybe different ways of learning. And yeah, ultimately we do have to cover things. And I'm not saying this method is the simplest method for every subject. There are certain subjects where it's more natural. Right, for so it. thinking about how, how would you do it with math, for example? Right. How would you do it with math? So it's a little more... It's a little more complex when it comes to math, but I think math is a great question because it, it, it ties into the next step, the next step, the next stage of this. Uh, so, so let me use math as a case study. You sure. know, I think that's a perfect question to get into the next part. Um, you know, so fine. So, so I experimented with this method and I came up with this idea and it did work very well, you know, definitely with kids who usually can't pay attention. A lot of kids would have had no there's no way they would have paid attention. You know, we're able to learn with this method and have, and they loved it. They loved it. The first subject that the kids came, when they came home to their parents, you know, what they learn in school, it was always about, you know, the class that we were learning. I got that feedback constantly. Um, very often from kids who were not, you know, interested or engaged in learning at all. It was very exciting. It was fascinating. The next step, uh, you know, I'm going to fast forward to this year. And that will answer the math question. Okay. I'm fast forward to this year. It's covid Everyone's at home. We have a lot of Zoom learning going on. Things like that are happening. And um, I decided I'm going to sign up 
for the master's uh, video class. There's a, there's a series called the master series uh, where you can learn any subject from the best masters on that subject, the number one in the world on that subject. So you could learn filmmaking from the best Hollywood filmmakers. You could learn art from the best artists. You could learn, you know, English writing from the best writers literally in the world. You pay an amount every year and you could, you could learn this series. So I'm watching this series and it's amazing. It's, it's amazing to watch people who are literally, you know, these are people who are the best in the world at what they do. And they spend hours and hours, you know, probably tens of thousands of dollars preparing their, their presentations. The best people in the world in, you know, presenting their information in the best possible way. And I'm watching this. And then I hear a story. I might have even heard it from, from something that you put out, that you posted on social media. I heard a story about a Rebbe who started some sort of night sitter program or something like that for his class. Um, you know, he's a very charismatic Rebbe. And uh, the word got out about this program and more and more kids signed up, right? Mm-hmm. Kids all over the world hear about it, signing up. And, and by the end of it, he had, you know, a ton of kids, over a thousand kids watching and he gives out prizes and he does all different types of things. So the thought that occurred to me is to take what I was doing informally and bring it to the next level. What if instead of having a teacher, you know, scouring YouTube to put together their lessons, what if we had the best teachers in the world on each subject with the absolute, you know, with Hollywood level, Hollywood level, um, you know, uh, presentations, Hollywood level media, Mm -hmm. um, teaching that subject and using a similar method to what I used what would that do for education? What options would that open up for education? So you asked me about math. How would we do this in terms of math? The answer is, it's not a simple thing to do, but if you had the best people in the world working at it and you had tremendous resources put into it to make such a curriculum, it's something that you could pull off. Mm -hmm. I had a conversation recently with a math teacher. So he said he's teaching algebra in class. And the kids, of course, ask him, when are we gonna ever use algebra? Why would we ever use algebra? What application would it have? Mm-hmm. That's a question every teacher is going to get. Yes. Oh, yeah. And it's a valid question. You know, a lot of times to me, the answer is never. You're never going to use this, but it's valuable to learn how to learn something. It's valuable to learn, you know, right. to learn logic, to learn sophisticated learning methods, because you're going to apply it to many other things in life. That's part mm-hmm. of the answer. But in this case, the teacher thought of an interesting idea. He said, because these kids were yeshiva kids. Mm-hmm. He said, let's say you have a case of Yerusha. You know, you have a case where there's 10 brothers. And you know that a Bechar gets Pishnayim, right? And there's, uh, you know, $5,300 Yerusha. How much is the Bechar going to get? So he said, you know, th- there are questions, sort of opened up their mind a little bit. There are questions where algebra has real-life application as well. So, so what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, math might not be the simplest subject, but if you have someone really creative, there's no question in my mind that you could put together a really great curriculum. And, and where that leads to, the next thought that leads to is, what if every teacher in every school had this as an asset, had a series of educational videos on every subject from the best teachers in the world, the best presenters with Hollywood level you know, presentation, um, would we be able to start to evolve the whole classroom from sort of, sort of splitting up the splitting up the skill set 
because a teacher has to be, you know, teacher has to be multi-skilled. They have to be a disciplinarian. They have to be a psychologist. They also have to be very <laughs> creative. They have to know how to put together a curriculum. It's actually a very high expectation. You know, I've done a lot of different things in my life. And I will tell you that one of the most difficult things to do is to be a teacher. Right. There's absolutely no question about it. It's a to, very, they wear a lot of hats. and, and, and They wear and, some, yeah. And can't let their guard down for a second. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You have to be a, a really good teacher is a, you know, it's something very special. It's almost to me so special that the expectation that it's easy to fill a school with good teachers is almost to me an unrealistic expectation to a certain extent. It's hard. It's not easy to get great teachers, um, you know, and especially, like I said, in an era where uh, a lot of kids are struggling in the classroom, it becomes very, very difficult. You know, if kids are naturally in an environment where there's tremendous discipline and motivation, so pretty much anyone could do it. You open the book and you go through it. But if you're dealing in today's world, you know, people will say, yeah, what do you need any of this cool stuff? I could show you this teacher who does it great. And I can show you that teacher who does it great. You're right. I'll find you all-star teachers who can, you can give them anything. You give them a pen and a paper and they'll do an amazing class. There are teachers like that. But to say that's the expectation for teachers as a whole, and a lot of teachers don't more, need more help, I don't think that's fair. Right. So what I'm trying to say is we're in a new world. Let's divide the skill set. Not every teacher that's creative and knows how to do a curriculum is good at discipline. Not every teacher that's good at discipline knows how to do a curriculum. So what if we, if we take the creative part and delegate it? Take the creative part, give it to the best teachers in the world, um, let them have a curriculum, and then the teacher who's in the classroom itself is a facilitator, becomes more of a facilitator role. Uh, and, and let me make something very, very clear. I'm not talking about a Zoom experience. I'm not talking about where a teacher is live <clears throat> teaching and interacting with students. I don't think that works well at all in my experience because when it comes to interacting, you have to be in the classroom itself. You have to see what's going on. You have to have your finger on the pulse constantly. Yeah, yeah I think that, that COVID taught us that, that, that we can't go right. to online-only schools. It's just not going to work. Yeah, I mean, it, no, it, it, it does work. There are, there are kids that have been doing it for years. We mm -hmm. had... We had the Chabad uh, school online, online school for the Shluchim's kids all over the world. It's been doing sure. it for 15 years. Um, yeah, so there are, there are situations where, where it could work, but I think the vast okay. majority of our kids uh, have voted very strong. Even the kids right. want to Zoom school. For sure. Yeah, for many reasons. I think kids, you know, being in a classroom is a very healthy thing for kids whenever possible. Right. Um, like you said, I'm not saying it can't work. I can see it working in very small groups or with individuals, but what I'm suggesting is to have this method being done in a class of 30 people and to have a big, huge head of a teacher on a screen talking to 30 kids through the Zoom. That's not what I have in mind. I have in mind a facilitator, a teacher who's trained in this curriculum specifically, um, standing you know, on the side of the screen and guiding the children through the lesson like I did, pausing frequently for questions, for conversations, for natural free-flowing conversations about what they're seeing. The curriculum already comes with, you know, um, a note sheet to, to fill out. It comes with the tests. All of that stuff is already done for the teacher. Mm. So it puts the teacher in a very empowered place, uh, you know, and it's all great stuff. It's all really, really good, interesting, high quality, thoughtful learning that's going on. And I think the teacher takes it from there. You know, you're starting off now in a very exciting, interesting place. Science now is fascinating. History is fascinating. Like I said, even math, um, you to know, make a relevant, there are ways so, to make math interesting. 
Right. Yeah. So right. So the idea, your idea is also not not just that that that, that their masters, these these educational positions should just be done by the best math wizard in the world, but also right. but, but specifically a teacher, a math teacher who has a very good delivery system, a, a way of of explaining it and making it relevant for kids in the classroom. Right. Yeah. And I think of it as even more than a, than a person that a teacher talking on the screen. I'm talking about a Hollywood level production. Mm. You know, we put so much resources into into producing a, a Hollywood level movie could cost 50 million dollars, 100 million dollars to do. Right. I'm going to jump out of the from world for a second, because I think this method would work in the secular world as well. I don't mm -hmm. understand why they don't do it. The government spends billions of dollars every year in education, right? Sure. Billions, not right. you know, countless billions every year. Yeah. Why can't they take a couple billion and make a universal curriculum or a state curriculum, even if it's state by state, mm -hmm. with the best, the best of the best? You know, right. Hollywood could do a, a great job if it came to teaching math. There's no question in my mind. I'm not saying you need Hollywood actors to do it, but make a production. Why, why is it that the poorest production that kids experience? Is education, you know, these, these edutainment edu videos, you know, they call them like educational entertainment videos. Most of them are pretty horrible. There's amazingly talented people out there. So why not create a masterclass the same way that there's a masterclass for me to learn marketing or for me to learn something else? Why isn't there a Hollywood level production masterclass for teaching seventh grade math? And I, as a seventh grade teacher, you just made my life, you know, tremendously easier. You made, you know, you made the children in the class their lives tremendously easier. Mm -hmm. So why don't we have that? And if the secular world is not doing it, fine. So you know, let's do it ourselves. Maybe we can't do it on the Hollywood level, but we could probably produce something great. We could get, you know, it's funny because you get into yeshiva sometimes, and all the parents are fighting to get their kid into this rebbe's class, right? Everyone knows that this rebbe is an all-star. He's phenomenal. Every kid has an amazing year by him. And I'm not, you know, putting down or differentiating between Rabbeim. But imagine if the best of the best of the best, you know, every kid could have that experience. And the Rebbe, and the Rebbe, again, is a facilitator. The Rebbe is there. Um, the Rebbe is able to facilitate the learning. Mm -hmm. I think it opens up options. Now, I'm not saying this is for every class. I'm not saying it's for every yeshiva. But when you start thinking of, let's say, out-of-town communities where it's hard to find a pool of great Rabbeim, or it's hard to find a pool of great teachers. It opens up a very interesting, um, a very interesting option. Right. That's okay. that's that. It's, that's it's it's a it's a very very <laughs> fabulous idea. It sounds like like a really groundbreaking and and uh, <laughs> very innovative to to transfer the role, the primary role of teaching, to uh, a production. But like mm -hmm. you're saying, like you know, for production. So just explain. And you're in your in, in in this vision that you have. What is the role of the rabbi or the teacher? Like, what what is the rabbi or the teacher? Are they just doing discipline? No, 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 definitely much, much more. Like, I wouldn't even agree with you when I say that the primary role of teaching is a production. It wouldn't even be the primary role. It's the content, but the teaching. In my experience, the teaching that went on in the class. When I use this method, so I'm not talking about a theoretical method. I use this method personally for ten years in a classroom. It happened. The primary teaching happens during the conversations. It happens during the open-ended conversations. When I press really? pause on the video, yeah, that's when the real teaching. That's when that's the when material the, sinks in. That's when it sinks in. It doesn't so that, sink in if you just have, and, and a lot of the kids hated it. They hated when I pressed pause. Right, yeah, why are you stopping you know? the video? Exactly. Why are you yeah. stopping the video and stopping the video? But that's fine. That's fine. As a teacher, you have a right to do that. As a facilitator, you have a right to do that. 
And the children understand that there's a trade-off. There is a trade-off. It's not just about sitting here and watching videos. It's about learning. And this is when conversations happen. This is when a lot of back and forth happens, you know, feeling out from the class. Are they getting what just happened? Could someone tell me? Could someone explain to me what we just saw now in your own words? Could someone answer, you know, what do you think about this? So it's not, and make it very clear, it's not pressing play on the video in the beginning of a class and sitting on the side and if little Maishala makes trouble calling him out in the back. That's not what this method looks like at all. This is having a conversation over something interesting. It's like it's like watching a ball game together, you know, and you're talking about you're talking about, you know, what this guy did, you're talking about what that guy did, what do you think he's gonna do? It's um it's having an interesting conversation you know, over over something interesting. So yes, yeah, so the, the teachers would have to be trained in that. I don't know if, that, if that's going to come naturally to every teacher, but if that's part of the curriculum, if that, you know, if, if we had talking points put out already for every video, if a video came with a teacher's book, right? Um, with conversation points, with talking points, with interesting angles, because again, not every teacher is so creative that on the spot, they're going to be able to think of great conversations to have about what they learned. But we could provide all of that. We could model it. We could even have videos showing, you know, training teachers how to do such a thing. Um, That's the vision that I have. And the last thing I would add in is that this method is not a solution for discipline. It's not a replacement for discipline. A school needs a discipline system. And if there's a discipline system, this system, like any system, will work. If there's no discipline system, it won't work. Um, It's really as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, but in, in a way, it's probably easier to get the kids' attention, and 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 the discipline becomes less of an issue when the kids right. find the classes to be interesting. One hundred percent, no, one hundred percent. Having good quality, interesting learning going on is an important part of discipline, but it's not the whole solution, because the the reality is that this is still learning. You know, it's very you're almost tricking the kids into learning because it's so natural, but it is learning, and not every kid wants to learn every day, so you're always going to come up against that. You know, whatever video it is, it's not the same thing like watching, you know, Joey Newcomb run, jump around on, on YouTube. <laughs> it's still not the same. You know, I can't compete right. with that. Even if I had Hollywood level production, it's right. still forcing them to use their brains. So, yeah, the discipline is always going to need something. So the, the teacher that's in the classroom has to deal with discipline. He has to deal with having these conversations with the kids. He has to deal with notes and with tests. But it's it's opening up. um it's opening up a lot and it's, it's just talking to kids more, more um, on their level. And, and I'll tell you some objections, you know, to this. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to We'll okay. get to that. But, yeah. but, but okay. just how, just how does this address the primary issues that you, that you mentioned in the beginning? I mean, it does obviously sure. it, 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 it brings quality education to, to make, it makes it accessible to everyone. But, but how do you, let's say, how do you address the issue with uh, the cost of education or teachers? There's the shortage of teachers. Like how does this, right. how does this impact on that? Yeah. So this is a, you know, this is, has, it has an impact from a very mathematical way simply by supply and demand because the skill set and training that's necessary for a teacher to do this I think is much easier. I think it opens up the pool to a much wider range of teachers. Um, and it makes it makes the job easier. And there are now many more teachers, I think, who can do this and do it well. You're not, you're not, you know, it's not necessary. A person with average intelligence, you know, anyone who's an intelligent person who likes kids and and you know has some has some level of being able to maintain discipline. And if the school has a strong discipline system, that helps a lot. Um, could be successful with this. So what you're doing with this method is 
you're opening up the supply chain. You're opening up the supply quite a bit. And if you have larger supply, the prices go down. So, so I'm not saying that you have to pay teachers less necessarily, but mm-hmm. in places like, say, out-of-town schools, um, it's going to be much easier to find a teacher with this method. Because uh, the, the likelihood of finding a great teacher for every level of the grade in an out-of-town school, and I'm talking about in right. a real out-of-town school, um, you know, is low. So you have to pay a very high premium right. uh, to find a teacher. You might not have to pay such a high premium because now right. you so, are yeah, able I, to find... Yes, I, I wanted to add in, uh, you know, a lot of the, yeah. we, we, based on our conversations that we've had, uh, a, lot of, a lot of interviews that we did on the show, that the reason why education is so expensive, especially high school, and and older elementary is because of the the, the the periods. You know, the education is broken up into ten or ten ten periods mm-hmm. a day, whatever it is, eight periods a day that, that, that right. they have to have. And each one needs its own specialized teacher for the forty five right. minutes, fifty minutes. And you know, mm-hmm. the, if you just having a teacher for forty five minutes, you can't pay. You can't just take an annual salary and divide it up into that hour. It doesn't work like that. You uh-huh. have to pay. Interesting. You pay much more. If right. in your system, technically, they'd be able to reduce the number of teachers that are needed. For sure. Yeah. Because they're, they're just facilitating. They don't really need to know. They don't need to be masters of the material. They just need to make sure that the, right. that the that the kids on the seventh or eighth grade level are getting whatever whatever's being taught. Exactly. Right. There's no reason in this system to have more than one teacher. No, yeah. I could see one teacher working for all of it. Um, the teacher has to be knowledgeable, you know, but in some ways, what's interesting is the teacher is sort of learning together with the class, which might sound very weird, but it actually works in a natural setting. You know, I found it myself. I didn't necessarily know everything that was going on. Uh, again, I, you know, there's a whole other discussion. Where do you find good content? That's kosher content. I had to mm-hmm. review every single thing that I, you know, that I showed from top to bottom. Um, but I, I, I love to have those conversations where we're sort of discovering things together. You know, so I think, yes, you could have one facilitator for all subjects with this method, and it's going to help bring down prices that way. It's going to make it easier to find teachers. It's not going to be, the, you know, the total solution. And, and it's, not, it's not a magic trick that's going to solve everything, but it might yeah, be a very it's, interesting It's, it's, a, it's a, definite, definitely a big first step, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> heading, heading yeah. in the right direction. You know, even, even right. a 10 or 15% savings is, is huge. It's huge. For sure. Yeah, I think it's a great thing for saving. And I think the system, you know, I think this is a great system just in terms of learning. I would recommend it for the secular system, even if they had no issue with funding for teachers and they have endless public funding. Why, why wouldn't they have this? It's always been sort of like a shock to me why the government doesn't have the best of the best invest in it, making an amazing curriculum. Because I have no doubt that at the end of the day, you will have many more kids mastering much greater, you know, mm-hmm. um, area of material than mm-hmm. you would have had before. Right. Oh, with this method. And, and, That's the theory. Right. And technically speaking, if the kid, if a, if a, child, a student is not picking up the material or they're, or they're behind, instead of having to hire a private tutor to teach them the material from new, they, they mm-hmm. just, just get access to these videos, which, you know, sure. which as, as a review, it's definitely going to help right. them. You know, there's no question about it. Yeah. And something that a parent could do with a child at home as well. Like right. the parent has access to it. They want to go over, they know exactly what was taught in class because right. they have the exact same material. So they could review it again and stop and make sure that, you know, the children are holding. They're getting it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so let's yeah. get, yeah. Before, before let's we get run to the time. objections. Yeah. Yeah. What, okay, what sure. are the incumbent, you know, the educational uh, experts going to say, Oh, what does this guy know about education? <laughs> he yeah. has no idea of what he's talking about. Right. <laughs> let's hear 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. So no, I could definitely think of some, you know, some reasonable objections, you know, in terms of me not knowing what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm open to that. I'm, it's, you know, I'm not coming at this, like I said, as a dictator, I'm coming at it as I'm a creative guy. I tried something. I tried it for a whole number of years. I know it has merit. I know it has value. We're entering an age where because of Zoom, because of COVID, it's just something that's becoming much more real. You know, it's it's sort of edging there anyway on certain levels. So it, it might be an idea of the moment. You know, I'm not coming here and saying, everyone, has, you know, this is the way it is, but but let's stop for a second and think this through and maybe it will help in certain contexts. That's, that's the way I'm coming to it. But in terms of objections, there's a number of objections I can think of uh, personally. Well, first of all, there's the issue of video, of allowing children to watch video. Is that a healthy thing? Is burning the books a good idea? Or maybe why are we surrendering that battle, you know, so quickly? Uh, maybe there should be at least one bastion of children's lives where where video is not the answer, you know, maybe in during their school day. So that's a reasonable objection. Um, I think screens, the screens, the screens, exactly. Right. The anti-screens. In other words, why are we giving kids more screens? Shouldn't there be one oasis of children's lives where they don't have screens, where they have to deal with life without having something entertaining um, popping in front of them? Um, and wouldn't this be feeding the opposite? This is just feeding the screen addiction, feeding the screen mentality. So I hear that objection. And I think because of that objection, uh, there's a couple parts to it. Number one is I, I'm not convinced that this is a solution for the whole day. I don't think that kids should be in front of a screen the entire day during school. So there has to be some balance. Um, I definitely think this is good for a lot of different parts of the day. It's good for a lot of subjects. But I think that, uh, no, I wouldn't promote having children sit in front of a screen for eight hours a day as a school experience. Uh, so, so yeah, there's still going to be a need for part of the day for, for doing something different. But I think for, for a section of the day, for part of the day, certainly for certain subjects or for you know part of the week, I think it's reasonable. So I think if it's balanced, it is 100% um, an option. That's number one. Um, number two is that it's it's an interesting question of um, you know of of where are we in this battle? Where are, is this a lost battle or not? I'm not I'm not sure about it. It depends on the community. It depends on the situation. Certainly, some communities are very far from it. But you know, in the general world, this is the next. This is how people are going to communicate. This is already how people are communicating. People communicate with screens. Now, right. how to go about a screen, what you're doing on the screen, if you're doing nonsense on the screen all day, you know, that's a problem. But to say the screen itself as a communication device is unhealthy, again, to some extent, yeah, too much screen, you're just sitting there. But yeah. right. is a screen that much different than a book? A screen on a certain level it's, is it's the new version of a book. Right. It's today's method of, of trans transmitting information, whether it's communication or education. They're right. they, they get they're gonna they're gonna graduate school and go out yeah. and get a job and 98 percent of jobs out there require you to sit in front of a screen. I'm gonna be doing in front landscaping. Of the for the vast majority of the day. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So I understand, you know, it's an interesting question, children's brains as they're developing, the effects that screens have and, and what percentage of their day. I'm not saying, in other words, I'm not just I'm not just dismissing it. I think it's it's a reasonable thing to think through, but I don't think it's enough of an objection to say throw this whole idea in the garbage. I think that it's an idea that has a lot of merit, and the response is we still need to give the children a balanced day. 
Um, but there are a lot of things from here that we could pull in and use. And maybe maybe start off by trying it for a couple subjects, the more natural subjects, see how that feels and, and take it from there. Another thing I would say is that children already have smart boards in the classroom. You know, they are learning from a screen. Even in the Mudekaydish, the vast majority of yeshivas I know of already have a screen. So then the objection is not necessarily to a screen. The objection is to video specifically. Um, you know, I, I don't think this method of learning requires only video. I think there are other parts to it. There are There is text to read, to read together. Um, I used to sometimes post articles that we would study together. So it, the concept is get the best people in the world to make the best production, but it doesn't necessarily mean only video all the time. And also, like I said, there's a tremendous amount of time where there are conversations. Sometimes during the day, during a 45-minute period, we would have 10 minutes of video, and there was 30 minutes of talking and discussing. Um, that's another point. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line response to this objection is it's a valid objection, but there is a balanced way of doing it. And don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. That's number one. Very good. And I'll okay. get to one more objection. I don't know how much time sure. we have left here. Yeah, yeah. keep it going. Okay. A little bit of time. So the other objection, which is a very interesting objection to me, um, takes a step back and says, what is the point of school in general? Hmm. What are we trying to teach kids in school? Are we trying to teach them, huh? I hear you're, you yeah, you know, the, a lot of kids uh, okay. have that question. <laughs> What's the point yeah, of school? Yeah, it's a great <laughs> question. It's a great question. What's the point of school? We're not going to use 90% of this. We're not going to use 85% of this in our lives. Hmm. I'm not going to use algebra. But you, know, you could come up with some chap and tell me, and then the Gemara Sukkah, I'm going to use it in Erevin, and then Yerusha, Hilkas Yerusha, but... Most people are not going to use algebra too often. Geomet geometry and, and trigonometry. Geom and most most people right. don't remember so it a year later. majority of it, right. So take a big, giant step back and say, what is the point of school? Um, and maybe part of the answer to that is the point of school is not necessarily the knowledge. It's learning how to learn the knowledge. It's learning how to function in a society with other people. It's learning self-control. It's learning focus. Um, School is an exercise in learning how to learn and learning how to function and learning how to be social. Now, we happen to have picked for the exercise these classic Western subjects. Theoretically, we probably could have picked anything to do this exercise. But we, you know, we're just doing the stuff that we happen to have. Um, but if the value of school is more learning self-control, learning focus, learning, um, learning how to do things we don't like learning, we don't like doing. The value is exactly that. The value is learning how to do things which are uncomfortable and not easy at first and learning how to master them. So then the objection would say that what I'm promoting is the exact opposite. I'm actually making things easy and exciting for kids, and I might get the content across to them. I might get more knowledge across, but in the process, they're losing out on the real point of school, which is to master things that are difficult, like sitting and reading a book for 25, 30 minutes, like writing, um, you know, filling out uh, worksheets. Uh, so by making school easier, I actually defeated the entire purpose of school. That's what the objection would say. Okay, I mean, so that, so that schools would have to claim that they're doing an excellent job now of preparing kids for real life. <laughs> for making it incredibly hard. Right, exactly, exactly. And I think uh, that's exactly what you said is, is where the answer starts from. Uh -huh. so, so to me, the answer starts from that school is plenty hard. Um, no one should worry about it. Even with this method I'm suggesting, there are going to be, there's plenty amount of self-control and focus that's necessary. 
Uh, because, like I said, I'm not suggesting that they sit there and only and only watch, you know, pictures of, of you know, of Pearl Har- videos of Pearl Harbor. Um, but there's still a lot that's there. It's just making it a little bit easier. It's meeting them halfway. And for a lot of kids, for a big chunk of the class, um, that will help them. That will help them get through it. And and also, like I said, I'm not saying just show videos the entire day. It has to be balanced. It has to mm-hmm. be integrated. Um, but that's that's really the response. Like like mm-hmm. the first question we had, the response is think of this in a balanced approach. And there's plenty of self-control, plenty of, of learning how to learn. Um, and actually, I think the learning skills that they're going to learn here are even more relevant to today's world. A lot of the learning skills we, we deal with today are not anymore the the um, systematic methodological, you know, it's not that type of, of to function in a job today. A lot of it is uh, more open-ended. It's more open-ended, creative problem solving, seeing different angles, at least my experience, you know, in the real work mm-hmm. uh, world, um, rather than, you know, knowing how to, uh, you know, I mean, there is some systematic, but it's there's plenty there, and and also a lot of that they might learn a little bit later, like when they get to high school or college, uh, they're going to have to learn a lot of more systematic learning. And um, in elementary school, I think there's a lot of more open-ended creative learning that they could be doing. And then I have maybe one more objection. Like, I don't sure. know how much time. Go ahead. We got. Yeah, let's yeah, let's 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 yeah. Let's so not try to knock it out. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. That's that's just the way. As you know, as a creative person, that's the real test to me of being a right. creative. It's not just throwing out ideas. You have to you have to right, really try, try stress as hard test as you it. Can. Yeah, exactly. So another stress test would be um, what about hands-on learning? You know, there are a lot of kids who need hands-on learning, and uh, is this method keeping kids pretty much in their seat, glued to a screen? And you're losing that whole concept. So I'll tell you my honest opinion. You know, again, as a teacher, and this opinion maybe won't be so popular. I think hands-on learning is quite challenging in a modern-day yeshiva classroom and with a large group of children. That's been my experience. I think hands-on learning is great. I think it's valuable. I think it's very doable in small groups. When you have a group of 30 rambunctious kids in a relatively small classroom and you're trying to do hands-on learning, um, it's not that easy. And again, I'm not saying there are certain many some teachers who could pull it off. There are definitely some, but if we're talking about expanding the the you know, expanding the net of teachers, expanding the pool, um, it's just not a simple thing to to pull off with a classroom with a, with a lot of kids at the same time. Right. It's not so easy to pull off. So right, especially the, all is, the kids are on different levels also. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and again, this might make a difference in younger grades and older grades, in, in very young grades. It's uh, I'm not the, the 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 grades I'm thinking of this method, maybe I should have mentioned that, I think are more upper elementary school, like fifth grade to eighth grade or sixth grade to eighth grade. For younger kids, I don't think it's as simple to do this method um that I was saying. I think they do need a lot more moving around, they do need a lot of um, hands-on at that age. And um, I think kids at that age, a lot of them could could deal with some of the tasks better. I find when you start to get to sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, there are a lot of kids that are totally out to lunch mm-hmm. and they just can't, they can't sit, they can't deal with the regular way of doing it. So bottom line is I'm pro hands-on learning. I think it's a great idea, but practically it might just, we might have to sacrifice uh, some of it. And you know what? Maybe if the kids are having an overall great day because the day as a whole is interesting, 
and is and pulls them, they actually might be able to get through a hands-on learning um, as a class, as a group together. Uh, you know, there might there might be more room well, there, to, there, to during certain it. times of the day when it's when it's focused on right. Just, right exactly. In other words, if the whole day was a struggle for them, then when it comes time to do hands-on learning, they're just going to. Well, my experience is certain types of kids will just act silly because they've been they've been cooking the whole day. Right. They've been cooking the whole day. Now they have a chance. To, now it's not structured anymore. They're out of their seats. It's much easier to do things that are not on task. Um, but if the day as a whole is really an interesting day and an interesting experience. I think that might motivate kids. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. I think hands-on learning is great. I don't think it's so easy to pull it off in my experience. Possible, not so easy. And if we can make it w- work with this, um, then then amazing. Um, if yeah. not, this might just mm-hmm. be it might just be something helpful. So that's, okay, that's, that's the, a the great long and short a, of it. It sounds like a great idea. And the objections okay. are, not, are not so strong. Let me let me throw one objection to you and see what you what we have to say about this. Okay. <laughs> Practically speaking, your 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 objections, a lot of them were more more based in theory, like the, the you know that attacked the theory behind mm-hmm. your 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 idea. But I, I'm also looking at the practical side of it. So it, 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 I, can, I can imagine just a nightmare of getting so many different. Let's say let's say if we start with the from community and the from schools, just getting right. the from schools to agree on a standardized curriculum, that could be mm-hmm. a, just a nightmare, a logistical nightmare. Right. Yeah, no, I, I I hear that, and I don't. That wouldn't be my approach. My my approach would not be to get everyone to agree. My approach would be for someone to make it to available, a great product, make it available and supply and demand. You know what? A couple of schools will try it, and when other schools hear how well it works, they'll, they'll be the they're going to figure the, out the, the they're going to figure it out. Right, exactly. They'll figure yeah, out. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right. Let's force them in. into it. Let let the market yeah. force them. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. The market will do that. We'll make that work. And, you know, if some schools say, we love your program, but is there a way to tweak it? Then maybe we can. Sure. So, you know, give us some funding and we'll we'll work, you know, we'll customize it for your school. But um, practically speaking, this would work if you had, a you know, a couple of people who really believe in the idea and they want to get creative and you start out and you do one, do one, do one subject, um, do it right and see how that works. Right. Yeah, we actually had we we interviewed Rabbi Glass from the consortium on uh, mm-hmm. uh, a while ago during in the beginning of Corona, and we were talking about a, a lot of what his his organization does is is work they work on a standardized curriculum for schools because especially right. the the out of town day schools, uh, small day schools that that don't have that don't have a, a, an adequate pool of teachers, so that that what they want to do they need a curriculum. So they should be able to know, like, what's a fifth grader supposed to know? Uh, you know what's the standard that a fifth grader is supposed to be at? So they, they actually mm-hmm. put something together. So in, in a way, it's really something for, to get to get all the schools to agree on a curriculum would be a nightmare. But right. in, in, in truth is, we do. We do need to come together and say, OK, what's a fifth grade boy, a fifth grade girl is supposed to know? And and, right. and and they should be up to a certain standard. And and your system, basically, it's built in like they are giving them exactly what a fifth grade is supposed to know. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, in a general sense, I can see some schools doing things a little differently, a little faster, a little slower. But I think there's a general consensus on at least a, a rough idea of what a fifth grader should know. And and also, you know, an important point to what I'm saying, because I think some people might say, but aren't there plenty of people doing this? Aren't there plenty of people who have, you know, video courses for this subject or for that? My response is that the vast majority of what I've seen is very lame. You know, I'll go all the way back to the beginning of my conversation. Children today are used to 
very high level productions in terms of information. It shouldn't be that the most lame experience of the day is watching an educational video. It should be the opposite. If this is very valuable to us, why can't we make this you know, absolutely amazing? And amazing doesn't mean that something has to explode on the screen every four and a half seconds. Amazing means being very creative and thoughtful about it. So that's, you know, that's the point I would leave with. All right. Okay, no, that's, that's a very good point. Okay, before you go, I have to ask you, that, sure. you, you, you spoke about, you said that you, that you worked with kids at risk. Um, yes. Yeah. So if you could just share a little bit about your experience with them, like, you know, there's a lot of different theories as to why we have so many kids at risk. What, 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 mm-hmm. issue, what were they suffering from that, they, that, that made them uh, go in that direction? Uh, you, you've had some experience. So what, what's, your, uh, what's your take on that? Right. What's my take on that issue? So yeah, that's definitely a whole, say a whole nother conversation. A whole separate conversation, um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. If we really <laughs> wanted to jump deep, I could say off the top of my head, you know, just some of the, the Russia Prakam of that in my experience. I mean, does it have to do, the question is, does it have to do Is it tie-in? Yeah, does it tie into yeah. a poor experience in the classroom or it's, it goes beyond that? Yeah, no, I would say for sure. I would say there's definitely a, a significant percentage, very significant um, where there's a direct tie-in, where school is a miserable experience that makes them feel bad about themselves, make them, makes them feel like a failure. And, um, and that evolves. You know, it, it starts maybe in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, a feeling of, of being the dumb one in the class, or the, the one who can't pay attention. And, and, you know, I'm saying a certain path doesn't mean that all this is the path for everybody, you know, ends up there, but it's a popular path where kids who struggle, they struggle to pay attention. They just end up with very low self-confidence. And then um, they act out. They might act silly. They might get attention, you know, for acting out, positive attention for the first time in their lives. Um, They might want to group with other kids who are similar. And that could evolve, you know, in that direction. Mm -hmm. So making school a more exciting experience for everybody um, could be, you know, to me, one of the most meaningful moments I had as a teacher uh, you know, was when I got notes from parents or, or kids that said that this is the first time in my life that I really, really enjoyed learning. You know, I never enjoyed learning before. It was okay. never something interesting to me. Um, and I would, always, you know, as a teacher, make a point of trying very hard to include those kids in the conversations, kids who couldn't right. learn in the regular way. Uh, it, it's like Shavu B'chal Nefesh. This is a method of learning that almost any kid um, could jump into. So in terms right. of t- t- uh, kids at risk, I think it would be it would be helpful, but uh, kids at risk is a, anyone who says that there's one reason I think why kids why we have a kids at risk situation is, is being very simplistic. It's it's a it's a knot that has many different parts to it. Okay, so, we can have we can have yeah. another conversation right, right there. Exactly. But, yeah, but basically the idea that you're sharing or the, the concept it really ties into something the Chazanish said many many years ago when when they were building Chadarim in Bnei Brak. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Rishalmi schools were always busy teaching the kids in Yiddish. And they asked the Chazanish what language to, 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 they, should, they should teach in. So he said, what language do they speak at home? So they, they told me they speak Ivrit. So he said, okay, so mm-hmm. teach them in Ivrit. They said, what do you mean? That's not the Messiah. That's not the Messiah. Right. <laughs> so the Chazanish said, no, no, no. You have, you know, when, when, you, when you fight a war, you have to fight the war with the, with the, with the, with the weapons of that generation. If you come, if you try to go against the, the uh, uh, army with tanks, and you take horses, uh, horse and buggies, you're not going to you're gonna get smashed. So today's generation, you're fighting a war. Chinuch is a war. You're fighting, you're fighting the street. You're fighting all the influences of the world. If you come in with the old language, 
you know, the old, the old armaments, it's not going to work. You're going to lose the battle in a second. You got to speak the language of the generation. You got to come in with the, with the most up-to-date weaponry to, 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 at your disposal. So, uh, right. you know, the, what you're saying is this is how kids learn today. This is how they, this is, this is their language. Right. They, they, exactly. they, they learn from video. They learn from screens. It's just, it's just, the, you know, a lot of it right. is, it comes and to that. And, 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 and they need, they need to be included. They need a need. It has to be in a way that they're used to communicating and the way, the way that they, they the language that speaks right. to them. Right. hundred percent. And, you know, I would say just to end with, cause you know, you're bringing up that point to make it very clear. Um, you know, in general, I experimented with this when it came to uh, when it comes to there 100%, there's a concept of a Rebbe and, and a Rebbe is its own thing. You know, a Rebbe has, um, has a role to play. I'm not saying that there still has to be a Rebbe in a classroom. I'm not saying, you know, get the most legendary seventh grade Rebbe who's ever taught Gemara and, and, you know, give him the best production ever. And that's the kid's Rebbe. You know, the Rebbe is the Rebbe in the classroom. And there's a relationship, there's a Messiah that goes over, they're giving over Torah, it's its own, you know, Torah has its own sign, has its own internal science to it. Um, but think of this as a tool that a Rebbe in a classroom could use. Uh, that's, you know, that's the way I would say, it. you know, I, I think that's an important point as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. So we have a lot, a lot more to cover. Okay. Other conversations. But yeah. Maybe we'll have some other conversations. But this is great. very good. And, uh, you know, if, uh, we obviously uh, the the big a big un, unanswered question over here is how to get this uh, actually to happen. Right. Like what well, you know how to how to bring this yeah. idea in a way to, to to get it out there. I mean, the, we're getting it out there. That's the first thing we're doing, and hopefully right. one day we'll see it. Exactly. You know, listen, right, we're putting it out there. You know, into yeah. the world. If our people are interested and think this is something they would want to get into in a certain way, I'd be happy to have some conversations with people and yeah. see what I could contribute creatively. Very good. You've been listening to Chinuch 2.0, a show exploring the changes happening to how we do Chinuch. Chinuch 2.0 is hosted and produced by me, Aaron Parks. Special thanks to David Lichtenstein of Headlines, who inspires the show. You can subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts or on our website, chinuchshow.com. For suggestions, comments, or guests' ideas, please visit chenochshow.com. Thanks for listening.